And family, if you've got your Bible, open to Revelation 22. You can just flip to the end of your Bible and you'll land there. We're closing out the book of Revelation, which means we're closing out the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. And it has been one wild ride in Revelation, right? I mean, we've seen angels and creatures and dragons. We've seen beasts and harlots and horsemen. We've seen all kinds of things in this book. But what did we see more than anything else? What is it that we saw at the center of everything? Right from the very beginning, right from Revelation 1-1, the title of the book, it was the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've seen Jesus all through this book because this is the revelation of Jesus. And remember, revelation in the Greek is from the Greek word apocalypsis. And I know when we hear that word, we think of tragedies, we think of like tsunamis and hurricanes, we think of invasions and pandemics and plagues, but the word apocalypsis literally means unveiling. Like on the home renovation shows, when they finally unveil the brand new house and everybody's crying and everybody's so happy, that's, that's an apocalypsis right there. It has the idea of a breakthrough. Like when the number 16 seed, FDU, breaks through and takes out number one seed, Purdue, that, that's an apocalypsis right now. We've seen that, the, the unveiling through Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus in all his glory and majesty, and we've, we've seen the breakthrough of Jesus in all of his justice and power. We've seen a new side of Jesus in this book. This wasn't the Mr. Rogers Jesus that a lot of us had in our minds before. This wasn't the Mr. Beast Jesus who goes around handing out $10,000 to, to randos in Walmart. This was more like the Terminator Jesus that we saw in this book. This is the John Wick Jesus who's not afraid to get his hands dirty, maybe a little bloody, as he confronts evil face to face. We've seen Jesus break through to conquer sin and evil and suffering in the world, to judge Satan and his forces and his followers and, and eliminate Satan from the world. We've come to see Jesus reign over the world. We've seen him break through to redeem and radically transform this world when he brings heaven and earth together. In all of that, revelation has been all about Jesus. Seeing Jesus, encountering Jesus, following Jesus, and then looking forward to eternity with Jesus. And that's what the last chapter of Revelation is all about. And it's so good because, like I mentioned last week, we don't usually think about this stuff. We don't. I'm always amazed at how little most Christians think about eternity. Even though you're only spending, what, 80, 90 years on this planet, in this life, and you're spending a bazillion years in the next life. Don't you think you should find out a little bit more about what the next life is going to be like? I mean, think about it. If you were moving to Vegas, okay, half the island seems like they're moving to Vegas right now. If you were moving to Vegas, you would do a little bit of research in advance, right? You want to find out how hot it is in the summer, how cold it is in the winter, how far you got to drive for a decent musubi. You got to, you know, find out some important things before you move there. And that's just Vegas. That's just the ninth island. Imagine if you were moving something to, to somewhere totally different, like, like Mars. Imagine you were getting on a rocket to Mars. You'd probably do a little bit of research about what life was going to be like, right? You'd want to know what the living situation's like, what the eating situation's like, what the bathroom situation's like. You'd want to know a few of these details, right? No? You just get on that rocket and be like, ah, we'll find out when we get there. 
whatever it is, it'll be fine. No, you never do that. But that's how a lot of Christians approach eternity with Jesus. That's how a lot of Christians think about the next life, which is crazy. You're moving there permanently, and the moving date is coming really soon, really soon. So God wants you to be prepared. That's why he gave you this briefing manual before you get on that rocket. There's so much for you to look forward to in eternity. And there's so much for you to do right now in light of eternity. That's what we're going to see in Revelation 22. So let's pray, then we'll dig in. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word that points us not only to you and your heart and shows us ourselves in relationship, but shows us the future that we have to look forward to if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope that we can have. No matter what joys, thrills, triumphs, or tragedies we're experiencing right now, help us to look forward in excitement and expectancy to life with Jesus in eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Last week, Revelation 21, we saw how this earth is going to be transformed into the new heaven and the new earth. We saw how Jesus is going to bring heaven down to us, how God is going to move in with us and live with us. We saw how there's so much to look forward to in eternity. But wait, there's more. Revelation 22, John's not finished yet. Let's pick it up in Revelation 22, right at the beginning, verse 1. Look at what John says. Then he, the angel, showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. The city of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They'll see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. There's so many things just in that first five verses that are so good about eternity. And I know, I know you, I know you're still just kind of small kind of nervous about eternity. You're still not quite sure you're that excited about eternity, but here's so many reasons why you should be longing for an eternity. Number one, because eternity is life-giving. Eternity is life-giving. Yeah, I know you're tempted to think that eternity is going to be boring, that it's going to be kind of soul-draining, soul-sucking, but all of these images of eternity are telling us that it's going to be life-giving. John repeated that word twice, life. He talked about the tree of life and the river of life. And the Greek word that he uses there is the word zoe, not the word bios, which is what you'll normally find in the New Testament. Bios is the kind of life that we inherited from our parents. It, it's a good life, but it's a life that isn't permanent. It ends, it, it breaks down, it runs out, it burns out. That's bios. Zoe is the life that never runs out. It's the life that God has and God gives. And we're going to see that in heaven because we're going to see it all around us in heaven. The tree of life, like Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden, 
there'll be all kinds of trees of life. There was only one there. Did you notice? They'll be lining the river. And, and that's the river of life. Just like there was a river in the Garden of Eden showing how God supplies everything we need, that's what we'll see in heaven. God just supplying and blessing generously all of this life. And you know, if there's a river in heaven, river's got to go somewhere, right? River's got to dump into a, a lake or an ocean. So yeah, I think here's proof there will be oceans in heaven. All you guys who were nervous last week when you heard the sea will be no more, you're okay. You're okay. There will be oceans in heaven. It, it says in Isaiah 60, actually, the wealth of the seas will be brought to God. The islands will look to him. There will be oceans in heaven, and they're going to be full of life. It, incredible fish that you've never seen before. Because if there's rivers and oceans and plants and trees, there's got to be animals, right? Got to be. Look at how Isaiah 11 says it. In Isaiah 11, he says, an infant will play beside the cobra's pit. Oh, oh. So I guess the animals in heaven are going to be a lot different than they are now. A toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They'll not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. I love that. In eternity, animals are going to be our friends again. You're going to have happy Happy dogs with their, their tails wagging everywhere. None of those snarling dogs like you got next door to your house barking all night long. None of those. In eternity, we're going to have happy sharks. Think about that. Happy sharks who want to give you rides like Flipper on their back. Just You'll ride around on the back of a shark. Not the tiger sharks who chase you out of the water like we got right now. And, and that's going to be all of nature. We're going to have big, beautiful flowers with no thorns to stab you. We're going to have big, beautiful blue skies with fluffy clouds and, and, and no fog to choke you. Were you choking on the fog this week like I was? That's not going to be a thing in heaven. There's going to be life all around us, and it's going to be perfect. Eternity is not going to be soul-draining, family. It's going to be life-giving. And there's one more thing, little detail in there. Look at what John said in verse 2 about the tree of life. He said this tree of life has 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. Every month. That tells you one more big thing about eternity. Number two, eternity has time. It has time. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever wondered how time is going to go in heaven? Have you ever wondered and, and kind of been a little nervous if, if heaven and eternity is just going to be one long, slow, just expanse of time going on and on and on forever? I've thought that way. Some people get weirded out thinking about eternity because they think time will be no more in eternity. It'll just be this never-ending state of being. But Revelation just told us there's going to be months. And if there's going to be months, you know that means there's going to be days, weeks, hours, minutes. There'll be seasons. Genesis 8 says summer and winter will never cease. Never cease. So there'll always be the Vans Triple Crown on, on the North Shore in the winter and Duke's Ocean Fest on the South Shore in the summer. There'll always be time in eternity because God created us in time. 
He's not going to suck us out of time. The problem with time in this life is that we've always got either too much of it or not enough of it, right? There's too much of it when you've got nothing better to do than to doom scroll for an hour, and there's not enough of it when you've got a project that's due at work or a, a paper that's due at school. But in eternity, time is going to be a gift, not a curse, because we're going to treasure every moment that we have with God. We're going to see him face to face. That's something that could never happen right now. Never. You remember when Moses asked God to see him face to face? And God's like, yeah, we could do that, but then you'd be dead. Okay, Moses? It's not going to turn out well for you. Moses is like, no, no, I really want to. And so God's like, okay. So, so he found a crack in a rock to stuff Moses into while God walked by. And still after that, when Moses went back down Mount Sinai, he scared all the people to death because his skin glowed in the dark, like he'd, like he'd just been in a nuclear explosion or something. That's, that's just because he was in the vicinity of God. Well, in eternity, that's all going to change. We can't bear the weight of God's glory and holiness today, but that's all going to be different in heaven. Look in verse 3. Look at what John said. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city with us. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. What we've been longing to see for all of history, we're going to be standing in the middle of that nuclear explosion, family, screaming our heads off in pure joy and excitement. And that's number three about eternity. Eternity is thrilling. It's going to be thrilling, not boring. Have I convinced you of that yet? Heaven is not going to be boring. It's going to be thrilling because we are going to be face-to-face -face with the most thrilling person in the universe. If you think heaven is going to be boring, that's because you think God is boring. Let me say that again. If you think heaven is going to be boring, that's because you think God is boring. God. This is the guy who invented taste buds. He invented nerve endings. He, he invented adrenaline. This is the guy who created sex, okay? God designed us to experience joy, excitement, thrills. And, and, and the thrills and joy we experience on this planet, in this life, are just a pale shadow of the thrills we're going to experience on the next planet, in the next life. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If there's a desire in me which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We all know that there's something missing in life. We know that, but we try and find stuff in this world to, to fill that, that void. We think a new job or a new house or a new car is going to fill it. We think a vacation or a cruise is going to fill it, but none of those things fulfills. Not for long. It can for a little while, not forever, because all those things are fallen. But in heaven, it's all going to be redeemed. You're going to eat food, and it's not going to make you fat. Isn't that going to be epic? 
You're going to drink wine and it won't make you drunk. You're going to travel and you won't get jet lag. It's all going to be redeemed in heaven. So there's nothing that you can experience here that you won't experience in heaven. Except it'll be a million times better in heaven. So you don't need a bucket list of places that you want to go before you die. You don't need a list of things you want to experience before you die. You're going to experience it all in heaven, but way better because you're going to be doing it all with Jesus. That's what you have to look forward to. And here's the thing. You don't have to wait very long for it. Because here's the reality. Number four, eternity is coming soon. Eternity is coming really, really soon. We're going to see that in the rest of this chapter. We're going to read the whole thing, and I want you to count with me. As we read, count how many times you hear the word soon or, or the word near in the last 15 verses of Revelation. Here, let me read. Verse 6, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, he has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Look, I'm coming soon. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard them and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me, but he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you, your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he said to me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Look, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things for you, the churches. I'm the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city which are written about in this book. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. We heard it five times in 15 verses. Jesus is coming soon. I don't know. You think maybe God wants us to know that Jesus is coming soon? You get that idea? I kind of think so. Because there's stuff that he wants us to do in light of the fact that he's coming soon. As we read through that, I saw a bunch of exhortations interspersed in those five reminders of how soon Jesus is coming. Things we should be doing if Jesus is coming soon. I boiled them down to three things. Keep, expect, and plead. Keep, expect, and plead. First, if Jesus is coming soon, keep Jesus central. 
Keep Jesus central. It said at the end of verse 7, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. We've got to keep the words of the prophecy of this book. And what have the words of the prophecy of this book been pointing us to? Jesus. All the way through. The fiercely bold lion who's also the meekly sacrificial lamb. God wants us to put Jesus at the center of everything, just like Jesus said in verse 13. Look at what he said. He himself, verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That word beginning is the Greek word arche, which doesn't just mean the, the first thing in a list of things, the beginning out of a bunch of things. It means the pattern for every other thing that comes after it, the model for everything that comes after it. Jesus is the pattern for everything in the universe because he created everything in the universe. And then that word end, that's the word telos, which doesn't just mean the last thing. It means the end, the purpose, the destiny for every other thing that came before it. Jesus is the end for which everything in this universe was created. Like it says in Colossians 1.16, all things were created for him and by him. By Christ and for Christ. Jesus is at the center of the universe, and so he's pleading with you to put him at the center of your life. Family, Jesus isn't satisfied to be one more thing that you put on your buffet plate. We've all got a buffet plate. I don't know where your favorite one is, 100 sales, wherever your favorite buffet is, you go, what do you do? You load it up with all kinds of stuff, right? All of us do that in life. We load up the plate, like maybe you're in school right now. That's, that's the biggest thing on your plate right now. You got parents pressuring you to do well, or maybe you're just setting really high expectations for yourself. I got to perform here. Maybe you're out of school, you're just starting in a career, you got that career to build, and so if you want to advance, you got to work crazy hours. Always be available. That's the biggest thing on your plate right now. Maybe you've got kids, and that's the biggest thing on your plate right now. You're always trying to keep them busy, doing stuff, putting them in clubs, putting them in sports, anything you can do to keep them off of their screens, right? That's our biggest goal in life. Keep the kids off of their screens, even though it kind of changes when it comes to us and our screens, right? Because we always got reels to scroll through. We got shows we got to catch up on. We're, we're always putting screens in front of our faces. Maybe that's the biggest thing on your plate right now. Whatever it is, you've stuffed your buffet plate full, and there might not be much room left once you get to the end of the line. When you get to the end of the buffet line, what's always at the end? The very best thing, right? It's the prime rib station. But what happens every time? I've filled up my plate with all of the other stuff in the line, and I don't have any room left for the prime rib. Oh, I'll come back for it. But then I'm always full after I eat the rest of the stuff, and I don't have enough room in my belly for the prime rib. That's what happens in life. We fill up our plates with everything, and then we get to Jesus, and we don't have that much room left for him. Well, Jesus says, I don't want to be the last thing you put on your plate. I want to be the first thing you put on your plate. I want to be the center of everything that's on your plate. And you know what happens 
when you do that, when you, when you put Jesus first, when you put him at the center, look at what happens. Look at verse 12 again. Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. Why? Because verse 13, again, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, beginning and the end. Yet when Jesus is your beginning and your end, the model for your life and the destiny and purpose for your life, then he's going to be your reward in life. So if Jesus is coming soon, number two, expect Jesus to reward. Expect Jesus to reward. And I know how hard that is for a lot of us to receive. I know there's a lot of Christians who, who have trouble thinking about reward. We, we'd rather do things just because they're the right thing to do. We'd rather do things because you know, we receive grace, and so, and so we, we kind of feel like we owe God something. We don't want to do things for some expectation of future reward. That, that, that just seems crass to us. Well, here's the thing. You can do things because of God's grace, but you got to understand, God's not finished giving you grace yet. He's not done giving you grace. There's past grace, there's present grace, and there's future grace. God's past grace is what saved you and adopted you. His present grace is what sanctifies you and empowers you. His future grace is what rewards you. So don't be so arrogant today to think you don't need his grace tomorrow. His grace tomorrow is his reward. He will recognize you and reward you in the next life. And you know what that means? That's such good news because that means that you don't have to worry about being recognized and rewarded in this life. You can live your life doing what God's called you to do. And even if you don't get recognized here, even if nobody else notices what you're doing here, you know God notices and God rewards. And in Revelation, we've seen so many of the rewards that we have to look forward to. We've seen it through this book. Like in Revelation, we heard we're not going to be hurt by death. You won't be hurt by death. Have you ever wanted to be invincible? Ever watched a superhero movie and thought, man, that would be kind of nice. Bullets bouncing off. Just invincible. Guess what? You will be. You will be in eternity. We heard in Revelation, you'll have your name shouted by Jesus before God and the angels. Have you ever had this dream in the back of your head of being in the Super Bowl and running out through the tunnel and hearing thousands of people scream your name, you will in eternity. You will. We heard in Revelation, you're going to sit with Jesus on his throne. You're going to sit on the throne with Jesus. Have you ever got on an airplane and walked through first class and thought, I wonder what they would do if I just sat down in one of these seats? Has that ever crossed your mind? I mean, would they kick me out if I just sat down right here? Guess what? In eternity, you'll sit in a seat that's way better than those lie flat seats on Hawaiian Airlines. Those look amazing, but the seats you're going to get in eternity are going to be infinitely better than that. There is so much future grace that you have to look forward to when Jesus returns. And so that's why, number three, we got to plead. We got to plead with Jesus to return. It said that in verse 17. Both the spirit and the bride say come. 
Let anyone who hears say, come. We are the spirit. Uh, I'm sorry, we are the bride. And, and if we are in tune with the spirit, then we're going to plead with Jesus to come soon. We're going to plead with Jesus to usher in the next life, even if there's things that we want to do and achieve and experience in this life. I know there's a lot you still want to achieve and experience in this life. I know that. If you're single, maybe you're like, hey, it would be great for Jesus to come back, but could he just wait a couple years until I'm married? I'd really like to experience being married before Jesus comes back. If you're married, maybe you're like, yeah, it would be it would be great for Jesus to come back, but could he wait until, until we have kids? I'd really like to experience being a parent before Jesus comes back. If you're working some middle management job on, on the eighth floor, maybe you're like, yeah, it would be great for Jesus to come back, but could he wait until I get promoted to the ninth floor? I bet you the view would be so much better from the ninth floor. Could he just wait for that to happen? We're looking forward to the next life, but we're not completely sure that we want Jesus to bring the new heaven and the new earth because we're still kind of in love with this earth. We are. But here's the thing. We will plead with Jesus to return if we finally recognize the darkness that characterizes this earth. The darkness that's in this world. That's why Jesus called himself the bright morning star. Did you catch that? The bright morning star. The morning star. That's the star that appears at around 2 or 3 in the morning, right when the night has reached its darkest point. The morning star doesn't show up until then. When we see the injustice in this world, the suffering in this world, the sin in this world, and in our lives, we'll plead for Jesus to, to return. And, and the promise of the morning star is that he will return. That's the promise. When you see the morning star in the sky, that's your sign. That's your promise that darkness has been defeated and daylight is coming. Daylight is on its way. Maybe right now, you're one of the folks who's feeling the darkness in the world right now. You're experiencing suffering maybe victimhood of some way. Maybe there's some disease or some illness that the doctors can't figure out and just won't go away. You're, you're feeling the darkness in the world really heavy right now. Well, the promise of Jesus, the promise of revelation is that the darkness has been defeated. Morning is coming. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Darkness is on its way out. And so in light of that, keep, expect, and plead. Keep Jesus at the center. Expect Jesus to bring reward. Plead with Jesus to return. And what does Jesus say in response? What is his response to that? He says, he who testifies about these things says, yes. Yes, I'm coming soon. And what do we say in return? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we look forward with expectancy and excitement to the return of Jesus. I know there's so much that we want to experience and achieve and accomplish still in this life. But I pray that you would replace that with 
and excitement and anticipation for the next life that Jesus is bringing. When he brings the new heaven and the new earth to transform this earth. Forgive us for being in love with this world. Forgive us for not seeing the darkness in this world, for not seeing the darkness in our own lives and our own hearts. Help us to see the bright morning star that's already appeared in the sky. The sky is dark, but daylight is coming, and darkness has been defeated. Help us to have hope and joy and expectancy for whatever life will throw at us. Because the morning star, Jesus, is here and he's bringing eternal daylight with him. Help us to rest and work and strive and achieve all for the glory of Jesus, by the grace of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.